go. <laughs> you know, uh, I got to talk. You know, that's my that's what I get paid to do, right? Uh, <laughs> I have a few things to say. First of all, I wanted to say, on behalf of Paula and myself, uh, a very big thank you for your cards and gifts uh, from the other night. Uh, we were totally blown away, and. Um, I have to say, and I'm not trying to just to be humble, uh, humbly be humble, uh, but we don't deserve anything. You know, it's all grace. It really is all grace. And we just show up and just we just try to be and to do what God's called us to be and do and, and see what he does. And, and in the end, anything, that good, any, anything good that comes out of it is from him. I know that's kind of cliche, but it really is the truth. And so... Uh, but, but, you know, we appreciate your love and your support and uh, all these many years, you know. I mean, for you to put up with us for 30-plus years, that, that is a miracle. That is grace. <laughs> so that's number one. Thank you. So uh, the second thing in my introduction now, uh, you know, uh, we got to have Raphael and Matt, his son, play together. And then today we got to have me and, and my son play together, and that was a real blessing for me. I don't know about for him. We'll see. Uh, but we, we uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, we used to, when Anthony was just young, we, uh, we got together a band, and it was called The Branches. Anybody, anybody ever saw The Branches? Oh, man. Quite a few of you. Going back in the day. And... Uh, there was four of us, and we had just an awesome time. And and uh, but it was a, this opportunity to play together. It was kind of—I'll be very honest with you—it's kind of me of uh, protecting him and not allowing him to go out and play with some other weird people because <laughs> I knew he wanted to play. Is Instead that true? of playing with the weird people out there, you play with the weird people in here. You know what I mean? That's what we do. <laughs> exactly. So, so anyways, uh, it's been four years since, uh, since Anthony and Irene, uh, uh, she's with the kids, not feeling, feeling so good. So, uh, but it's been four years since they've been here, and he hasn't spoken here in four years, so uh, it really better be good. <laughs> no, just to sit and, and uh, share, uh, share together and to hear you know his heart and and that is it's a blessing so uh we already welcomed them but let's welcome them again shall we it's good to be here um can you guys hear me all right is this all right okay um yeah so um, we've been in Israel for the last 15 years, 15 and a half years is when we left. And, uh, and so who remembers when we left? Who's, who remembers when we left? Everybody who was at the band <laughs> at the shows that back then. Yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, and so who's new? Who's new within the last... Who's new within the last four years that I don't know you yet? I see some definite people. Yeah, awesome. 
it's really cool to to meet some of you guys. I met some of you already, but um, yeah. So we've been in Israel, and for the last for the first year, we lived in Jerusalem, and we worked with the ministry there, and then we moved to Beersheba, and we worked there with the church for 13 years, and we did a lot of like inside of the church ministry, so discipleship. And we did some outreach that was more like evangelistic, right? But a lot of the stuff we were doing was inside the church, building that church, helping to, you know, organize things, revamping the sound system, all kinds of stuff like that, you know. Um, but teaching the Bible. So I was one of the teachers from, this, from the, you know, one of the main regular teachers teaching the Bible every once a month or something. And, and um, but what we realized was that that church was kind of had an international feel. So what was happening was you'd be speaking, we'd speak in Hebrew from the front, so all of our teaching would be in Hebrew. And, uh, and then we would have translation and headphones in Hebrew, and sorry, in English, in Spanish, and in Russian. So if you could imagine that you're here and three quarters of the people here don't speak English, you know, and uh, and so it gives this really like international feel, you know. So it's it, maybe everything from the front is in Hebrew, but as soon as it's over, you're trying to talk to the guy next to you, and you only know like a couple words in his language, and it's it's so that's a really beautiful picture of of the body of of Christ, right? The, of all these people who came from different places, who who are doing their best to worship together, but. Um, but what we found was that Israeli people who grew up in Israel really had a hard time connecting with that environment. So, you, you know, you, you just don't feel like it's for, it's, it's Israeli enough, <laughs> you know, whatever that means. So, um, so we felt about a year and a half ago that we should start a new, a new congregation. And we, so we, we left there and we started a new place that was really... It's really just a small Bible study right now. We've got a very small group, and um, we wanted to make it as accessible as possible to the regular Israeli public, right? So, so what we did was we rented a uh, community center, someplace that's not religious at all, someplace where you would go there for, you know, if it, it, they have a yoga class in the middle of the week or they have whatever else is going on there. And so we, we wanted to be in the place where people would just go normally and just make it really accessible to people. And we didn't want to do any translations and everything. So we've been in that place now for about six months. Um, and just two weeks ago, while we weren't there, um, some people, we've been putting a sign out every time. But Israelis don't really know what to do with that. Like, okay, there's a Bible study in there. Like we, even in like synagogue services, there's no Bible study. So, so... So they were like, what is that? And, but if somebody came in and just sat through the whole service la, you know, two weeks ago for the first time. Very cool. So, so we have some partners who are working with us there, and they're, they're keeping it going while we're not there, right? Um, but last week, we had, we, a few weeks ago, our, our friends had put up a poster with the, the, the time and place and phone number of where we're meeting in the park, because it's right inside this public park. And so 
some guys from the local synagogue who were right across the street uh, saw that and they called the place we're renting from and said, kick those guys out. We, they can't be there anymore, <laughs> you know, because we don't, we don't want anybody teaching about Jesus in our city, basically, you know. And, uh, and so, so now our, my friend Victor, who's, the, who's like my, my co, co-planter, you know, co-church planter, he, he's going to have to meet with them and try to explain to them why they need to let us stay because they want to kick us out of there. So we'd like you to pray for that because we really want to stay in that place. It's really been a, a cool place to be and it's got this accessibility to everybody. So we want to stay in that place. So we'd love you to pray for that. And uh, we'll have to update you in the next week or so and see what, what they say. But, um, but one of the things that... Um, one of the... One of the things that's so hard about ministry is that so, that can be hard is sometimes people don't believe that you can do something, you know? And so so a lot of a lot of the congregations in Israel are very international like that and they and we had some people saying to us, you know, this can never be done what you're trying to do. Like a a, a congregation that's that's truly like just Israelis, you know, like that there's very rare. So so I wanted to talk today about courage, and um, and I want to talk about Christmas because Christmas was yesterday, and even though we didn't sing any Christmas songs today, it's still we're still in the Christmas weekend, right? Maybe all the all the radio stations already switched over. Maybe everybody's tired of Christmas music by now. Have they switched yet? I don't know yet. Angelina says, "Yeah, switching today." She knows. So um, I want to talk about the courage of Christmas. And, you know, last time I was here, the church service started at 1030. So if I go till noon, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding, guys. Anyway, the Christmas story from a slightly different angle. Can somebody give me a synonym for courage? Valor. What else? Boldness. Bravery. Fear that has said its prayers. Oh, I like that. Um, fe- uh, courage, it comes from this Latin word co- core, C-O-R, core. And it means heart. Does anybody know Latin? I don't know Latin, but C-O-R says it's, it's from, the, from the word heart. And so this idea of courage, it's like this hardiness coming from your heart, doing something um, brave with resolve, you know, um, boldness, fortitude. And I found this definition. We might best describe or conceptualize courage as a willful intentional act involving substantial risk, primarily motivated to bring about a noble good or worthy end. Okay, so three parts. A willful, intentional act, something that you did on purpose. Like, you can't be courageous by accident, you know? <laughs> like, if you, if you save someone by accident, you're, you're not being courageous. You just did it by accident. That was cool, but, you know, you weren't really being courageous. Um, 
it involves objective substantial risk. Like if there's no danger to you, you're not really being brave either, you know. Um, and then it, it's primarily motivated to bring about a noble good or worthy end, right? There's some kind of purpose that is worthy, that I'm, I'm willing to put myself at risk because of that idea or that purpose, that goal, right? So if we were going to think about biblical examples of courage, who would we come up with? Daniel, Joshua, Jesus, okay. David, Daniel. Let's go with Daniel. And what about his three friends, right? The Shadrach, Meshach, Avednego. That's how you say it in Hebrew. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That weren't their Hebrew names. That's right. Somebody's smart around here. Um, so uh, these guys had, those three guys, their deliberate act, the thing that they did deliberately was they did not bow down to that idol. So it was actually like something they didn't do on purpose, right? <laughs> so the opposite. On purpose, they did not bow down to that idol, to that image. And did, what serious risk did it involve? Being burned alive basically, right? Um, and they were maintained by a worthy end, by a worthy goal, to maintain the integrity of their relationship with God. So our in relationship with God would be injured if we bowed down to this idol. Now, they could have said, well, God, I'm just bowing down to save my skin, but in my heart, I'm not bowing down. They could have made some kind of internal compromise and made all these, you know, how we do that sometimes. But they said, no, you know, I'm not compromising. I, my my, the integrity of my relationship with God is more important than the, my physical safety, even. Okay? So Daniel, he did the same kind of thing. He, he, what was his deliberate act? He prayed, right? He prayed regularly despite the king's edict that he should not. And what was the risk involved? The lion's den. Getting eaten by lions. And, uh, but he, he was also motivated by that same worthy goal, maintaining the integrity of his relationship with God. He wanted to make sure that his, his relationship with God was more important than being okay with the people around him, you know? Like, his relationship with God was so much more important that he was willing to sacrifice what his, his, his uh, horizontal relationships. So... These are some clear examples of taking personal risk for a worthy goal. And, um, and sometimes, you know, that definition I read, it's, it says about a potential risk, but sometimes it's not a potential risk. Sometimes it's a guaranteed risk. <laughs> sometimes you know you will suffer if you do this thing, right? It's guaranteed. And so um, courage involves this intentional, deliberate decision that involves a ser serious risk or, or a guarantee of suffering for a noble and worthy purpose. And so, how is courage part of Christmas? Now, sometimes, you know, it, it could be courageous to just meet with our family and have Christmas, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean sometimes it's courageous to eat, uh, you know, the food <laughs> or whatever of whoever. You know what I mean? Sometimes... It's just courageous just to get up in the morning, you know. It could be courageous. But, 
But uh, how is courage connected with Christmas? I want to look at a couple examples. And the first two are Mary and Joseph. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. So if you have a Bible and you want to open up to Luke chapter 1, that would be great. Verse 26. Luke talks about the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Mary more. And Matthew speaks about Jesus' birth from the perspective of Joseph. So we kind of look, we'll look at both of them and we'll put it together. And, but we're looking through the idea of what, of what courageous things were done here. So in verse 26, after God has spoken to, to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist, in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be, a great, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. We'll stop there. So Nazareth, uh, you know, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in verse 26. Nazareth was a very small, unimportant village at that time. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament at all. Maybe there had a population of about 500 people. Very small town. Does anybody come from a really small town? Does anybody know what that's like to be in sort of like a small community? So, for example, I went to Taylor University in my class. In that whole uh, Christian university at that time, there was probably about three, 400 people. You know everything about everybody. You know, you know if somebody's going to get engaged, you know. If somebody is going to be pregnant, you know. You know what I mean? Like you, you go through and you just know everything going, that's going. If somebody's dad is sick, you probably know about that. So, so in this small community, um, engagements were a social contract. It's a public social contract. So in that time, everyone would know about it. The whole village would be getting more excited about the wedding. And, 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 you know, it's not like today. Like, you wouldn't have seen them necessarily at Starbucks together talking about their wedding plans. Like, that, that, that wouldn't happen. The parents arranged the wedding, and Mary would be living with her parents, and Joseph would be living with his parents, and, and they would be getting things ready for, for these future preparations. And, and so, actually, I want to tell you this story about a Druze tradition. This is something that I learned with Sonia, actually, who happens to be here today. It's good to see you. 
Um, we went and visited Sonia 15 years ago in uh, 14 years ago, something like that, in, in the Druze villages that are around Haifa, okay? So the Druze are a kind of sect sort of connected to Islam, but there's not very many of them, and they, uh, they have their own religion. They look to Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, as their spiritual like leader. So anyway, they were telling us about this, that when a child, uh, and if I hope I get this right, okay, but when a, when a man, when a man child is born, when a boy is born, right, his father will buy a piece of property. And then when that son grows up and gets engaged, he has to build a house on that property during the engagement. And he can't get married until the house is done. Right? So my dad didn't buy me any property when I was a kid, which is unfortunate. But, but that's what they would do. And, and so, so, you know, this idea of preparing for the, the wedding. So, so you have these families, and it's a small town. The families are working together. There's other people who help out. You know, you're trying to get, trying to get everything ready for this new family to be united. Um, they had a plan. They could see themselves having children, growing old together, and, you know, it would be massive social consequences for breaking an engagement like that in your, in your town. So, God sends the angel Gabriel into Nazareth, this small town, to a virgin. And the angel Gabriel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, you know, you have uh, all of these memes and stuff today where it says, You are highly favored. God, you know, basically saying, you know, you're, God has blessed you. You are highly favored. And Mary is not happy about this, so. She's troubled. She says, what kind of, in her heart, what kind of greeting is this? What kind of greeting is this? Where somebody comes up and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. It's kind of like when the kids come up and say, mom, you look wonderful today. And you go, what do you want? You know, <laughs> what, what, what's going on here? Why are you talking like this? You know, and, and maybe, maybe Mary was thinking back to the Old Testament about how every time an angel shows up, there's some kind of price to be paid. There's some kind of challenge which is brought to the person. And it wrecks their plans. And she goes, what kind of greeting is this? You are highly favored. I don't necessarily want to be highly favored right now. I have my plans. Things are, things are fine. I don't need to be highly favored. I'll be fine being Mary. And I, you know, but Mary's troubled. That's what she says. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be called, he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And so the angel gives her this promise that her son will basically be the messianic king. And Mary asks, how will this be? And this is different than if we remember how Zechariah asked the angel, how is this possible? It is impossible what you're talking about. I'm too old. My wife is too old. It's not going to work. 
And he said this sort of as an expression of doubt. But I think Mary here is just asking, practically speaking, how is this going to work? Is this going to be Joseph's child? Is this going to be somebody else's child? Like, how, how are we going to do this, you know? I'm a virgin. What, what's, what, what do you want me to do here? I don't, I don't quite understand this. So I don't think she was expressing doubt, actually. I think she was just a practical lady who wasn't impressed by the flattery of the angel, you know, and just said, how's this going to work then? Okay. And, and um, the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And he talks about Elizabeth having her her baby having John the Baptist, and he says, for nothing is impossible with God. So at this exact moment, Mary has a choice. Mary can say, she could be like Moses, you know, and say, well, I'm not that great at this. I'm happy with the sheep in the wilderness. I don't really feel like I'm called to be a leader. Uh, Send someone else, is what Moses said. Send someone else. Don't send me. Send someone else. But Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And that moment saying yes to God put all her other plans at risk. Everything else that she had been, been counting on and building toward, she put it at risk. She would most likely be rejected by Joseph. What would Joseph say? He's not going to accept, accept somebody else's child. She would most likely, be re, most likely be rejected by her family. Mary, how could you do this to us? Bring this shame on our family like this. She would most likely be rejected by her society. She could end up homeless, friendless, jobless, all because she decided to follow Jesus. Um, if Joseph refused her, she would definitely be thought of as an adulterer, if Joseph accepted her, both of them would be thought of as adulterers, you know. But she didn't hesitate. Now, I think perhaps later on she might have had a few moments that were kind of like, what have I done? You know, like, what, what have I agreed to here? But in that moment, weighing everything, she said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And she accepted God's challenge for her. And then she, she left town for three months, right? <laughs> she, went to, she went to Zechariah's house to see Elizabeth, and she left town for three months. So what about Joseph? Did she tell Joseph before she left for Elizabeth's house? Did she go there and send him a letter? Did she come back and tell him afterward? How did Joseph find out about this? Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll see what it says there. But, but be clear, if Mary would have said, no, I want Joseph more than you, then she, she would have put the integrity of her relationship with God at risk. And many times we do that. We say, I want this person. I want this relationship more than this relationship. I want this plan of mine more than your plan. And, but Mary was willing to trust in God's plan. And what did she know? She, you know, she, she basically let go of human uncertainty and threw herself into the uncertainty 
of God's plan. She let go of human certainty, sorry, the other way around. And which is really kind of uncertain, but threw herself into the to God's uncertainty, which is more certain than our human certainty, right? But um you know, choosing between God's unseen plan that requires faith or our, ta- or our tangible plans that seem so much more solid, perhaps. But she was certain of a couple things. She knew that God had spoken to her. She knew God's word to her. She knew this is what you want me to do. And she also believed God's promise to her, that her son would be the messianic king. She believed God's promise. And she was certain that God had spoken to her. And so she held on to that. What about Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18? It says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's stop for there for a moment. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married. So that's a public, social, legal contract, religious contract. There was probably some kind of blessing that was involved in that engagement. You know, to break it would be a divorce. It required an actual legal divorce. So she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Somehow Joseph found out. Did she get to tell him herself? There wasn't a lot of like one-on-one conversations between the engaged people at that time. How did this happen? Somehow he found out. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. So Joseph was righteous. Some of you guys remember a few years back the 60s and 70s when righteous was a cool adjective do you remember that you know like that's a really righteous sweater you've got on Denise we, we need to like totally bring that word back like if, I think at work this week or next week if you have this week off you know try to use the word righteous at least once a, once a day for like a week and see what happens you know what I mean so see, what, see if people catch on anyway anyway totally righteous Joseph was a righteous man. So he couldn't he could not identify himself with someone who was known to be a sinner, right? So he said, "Okay, this girl who I'm engaged to is pregnant and it's not mine. I know it's not mine. I cannot marry her. I can't do that because that would bring disgrace on my whole family." Right? Because they would think If I marry her, they'll think that I did it. (laughs) And I didn't do it. But, so Joseph was righteous, but he was also very merciful. It says he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He wanted to divorce her quietly. She could have been killed for this. According to the Old Testament, she could have been, she could have been killed for it. The problem is that, um, you know, in that time, the Romans were in charge in in Israel, and the Jews were not allowed to to administer capital punishment. They couldn't kill someone. So theoretically, she shouldn't have been killed, but she could have been killed. Even in in those type of cultures today, even, uh, even people who shouldn't be killing people sometimes do. That's called honor killings, and it happens. 
And, and so, you know, she, she could have been killed for, for this, and, and now all of her, her plans are coming apart. This is, the first, this is the first domino, right? When Joseph says, I, I'm going to divorce her quietly. So Mary's already ready to pay the price. She's in that place of uncertainty. And we don't know how long that was. How long was this where, where, where Mary didn't know what Joseph would do? Maybe it was a month. Maybe it was three months. Maybe it was six months. We don't know how long Joseph waited and until he, was, until he heard the voice of, of this angel, right? But Mary was in that place of uncertainty, but she was following the Lord. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I think it's nice that the angel really made it clear to both of them, right? Uh, his name's going to be Jesus. This is a child from the Holy Spirit. The angel, God communicated to the husband and the wife before they were married and really made it clear. And for this kind of a circumstance, the birth of the Messiah, this was really important, you know. But it's even important for us, you know, as married people to hear from the Lord, both of us, and, and try to come together in that way. But Joseph was, he, he decided to be courageous in this moment. And what we have here is basically we have two teenagers who said yes to God and, and they set fire to their plans, you know. And, and they cast themselves into the sea of uncertainty from an earthly perspective and they trusted in the word of God to them. And so um, I want to look at one more example. I think I have time. Yeah. I want to look at one more example. Uh, I want to look at Jesus. And maybe we um, don't necessarily think of, of Jesus as being courageous, but Let's just think about this for a moment. So Jesus, he was the only person in all of history who chose to be born. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've had some period in life where I say on a certain day or whatever, and you go, it would have been better if I hadn't have been born. <laughs> you know? Why? I remember, especially when I was a teenager, feeling like that. Some of you might probably remember me feeling like that. But, but you know, you go, why, 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 uh, why is this happening to me? Why is my life like this? You know, you have Job, who, in the Bible, who cursed the day of his birth. And, and he said, it would have been better for me if I'd have been, just died in my mother's womb, you know, and never seen the light of day. After all this trouble that I have in my life, all the suffering that I'm going through, I wish I'd never been born. You know, you guys, the holiday movie, It's a Wonderful Life, George, George, uh, what's his name? George, George Bailey. George Bailey says, I wish I'd never been born, <laughs> you know. 
And then they show him what his life would have been like or what the world would be like without him anyway. But, but Jesus actually had, he, he had the courage to be born. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12. This is the last verse we're going to read. Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> verses 1 and 2. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's talking about Hebrews chapter 11, all of the, the people of faith in that chapter of, of chapter 11. But anyway, surrounded by these, these people of faith, which I, Mary and Joseph, they're people of faith, this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, we often point to the suffering of Jesus on the cross, right? We sang about that today, the blood applied. And that's absolutely true, and we don't want to take anything away from that, right? This, the weight of all the sin of humankind on his shoulders at that moment, amazing. But we often maybe don't make a big enough deal about the suffering he endured for 33 years on this earth just being with people. <laughs> you know, like um, people are hard to be with sometimes. And, you know, they say, well, if you, you know, if you go around and you look for the perfect church, make sure you don't join it because you'll ruin it, <laughs> you know. Like, like people are difficult to be with. And it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Well, his opposition, that, the opposition he faced from sinners wasn't just in his death. His whole life was, he faced opposition from sinners. Think about this. He put all of his divine attributes on pause. He, he put them on to the side and didn't use them for himself at all. So here's someone who was involved in the creation of the entire world and confines himself to, the, to a human baby and, you know, has to be cared for and suffer because, you know, babies are suffering. You know that? When, when, they, when they cry, it's because you don't understand what they want. <laughs> and, and they're suffering. They're going, you know, my stomach hurts and my whatever, and, and you know, you need to clean me, you need to feed me, and you don't know, and you just could throw everything at them until something works. But you don't know that they're, they're actually suffering, those poor little babies, you know. And, and, and so, as, as, you know, as Jesus agreed to be born, he agreed to go through our life and suffer. Um... Yeah. So, so he um, says, 
the author, the pioneer, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So he endured the cross, but he also endured his entire life on earth with people, and he scorned its shame. Like, like Joseph and Mary, they scorned the shame that they would feel. So when Joseph married Mary, when he took her and said, she's mine, everybody thought that they had done something. Or they, if they really knew Joseph and they had known Joseph and Joseph had told them it wasn't mine, well, they definitely thought bad of her. And they might have thought bad of him. And it's no, it's no, you know, uh, on Friday night, my dad, yes, my dad was telling us that it was probably a while they, they spent in Bethlehem, right? Why didn't they just go to Bethlehem, do the census, and go back home? Well, it seems like, and I don't think I'm reading too much into this to say, there seems like some kind of maybe uncomfortable situation back in Nazareth. So they went, they went for several years to Bethlehem, and then they went to Egypt, and then finally they did come back to Nazareth, but they probably had a few more kids by then, and things were maybe a little different, and, and the, the government had changed some, and whatever, everything was a little different, so they got back to Nazareth in the end, and God restored that. But there were years of separation that she, they, they paid for that, you know? Um, so, so Jesus, he scorned the shame of the cross. Mary and Joseph scorned the shame that they would feel for following Jesus, you know? They said, these guys are going to not like us anymore, but that's okay. We're going to go forward with this anyway. Um, I really like this passage. It says, throw off everything that hinders. That's not just sins, you know? Sometimes you just have to get rid of things that are are hindering you from following Jesus. I recently deleted the Facebook app from my phone. I just, I still have an account, but I, like six months ago, I just deleted the app off there. It was just like just taking too much time. It was hindering me. I don't think it's a sin. I just got rid of it. And I felt better about my time and my life now that I got rid of it. You know what I mean? I just am not using it. And, and so sometimes we have to get rid of things that hinder and we need to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles, you know. Sin is so much, it's so easy to be entangled and so difficult to get rid of. <laughs> so just don't get entangled. Like, like that's the best advice. But if you're entangled, let's do everything we can to untie those knots and get rid of that. Why? To run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So Jesus knew what he was called to do. Joseph and Mary knew, well, do we know? What's the race marked out for you? And what courageous thing is God asking you to do this morning, this week? What, what brave thing for what worthy goal is God speaking to your heart? You know? And, and so, um, you know, I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what, what God's race is that he's marked out for you. I know that I have enough, a hard enough time figuring out my own. So, but that's something for each of us to figure out. You know, what is, what is God speaking to me? Am I available? So I'm, I'm thinking about Joseph and Mary, and I, I think that, that their yes to God in this big thing, it came after saying yes to God in, in a bunch of small things. And saying, okay, you know, I'm willing well, what do you want? You know, I, I'm willing to do this and, and, and sacrifice this to follow you. 
I'm, I'm willing to take small steps of yes. So maybe, you know, we're at a place where we need to just start saying yes. <laughs> you know, Jesus had the courage to be born. You know, I don't know everybody here. Maybe you need to have the courage to be born again this morning. Maybe you need to say, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to burn all the rest of my plans, set on fire everything that I, that I thought for myself, and I'm giving my whole life to Jesus to start saying yes to him. I'm willing to let go of all of that other stuff. Maybe you're, you've, you've been saying yes, and you're in the suffering <laughs> because you said yes. You know, maybe you said yes to, to Jesus, and, and you're paying the price. And this verse says, don't lose heart. Don't, don't lose heart. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus, who endured this kind of opposition from sinners. So, you know, I, I want to tell one more story from Israel. Um, there's this study that they did about changing the status quo. All right? So, in Israel, there are parole boards. There are criminals in Israel. Even though it's the Holy Land, there are plenty of criminals in Israel, okay? <laughs> and, and so there are jails, prisons, and parole boards. And so you guys know the job of the parole board is to decide whether this guy who's in jail can go out. So the status quo for him is to stay in jail. The parole board needs to decide whether it's worth it to take the risk to take this guy and put him back on the street, right? Well, they did a study in Israel where they studied several parole boards and uh, over hundreds and hundreds of patients, hundreds of prisoners, sorry. And, and so they wanted to see what affects them getting released. So they all go by this schedule where you start at the beginning of the day and then you go through, you have a coffee break and you go through and you have a, like a lunch break and maybe you see a few more afterward, right? The first guy through the door, he's got like 65% chance of getting released. The next guy has about 70-80%. Then it starts to come down, right? As, as you get to the coffee break, the guy before the coffee break has 0% chance of being released. He's never, ever released. This is true. And then... the. the then they, you know, went to the next, so, so after the coffee break, jumps up to 65, then it comes popping down and, and, and goes back down to lunch, and the guy before lunch, he never gets out either. And then it kind of comes back up to 65, but then it drops down to 30% after lunch, and then, and then people, uh, can't, you know, it, it, it's, it's just the way it is. And they were like, well, what is this? And they said, well, it's just people, the, the, the judges, it takes so much energy to take a risk on someone. Like, so you get what they call decision fatigue. Like, you're, you're, you're too tired to change the status quo. The status quo is just what it is, and, and I don't want to take the risk to, to, on this. So, so, my point is this. Like, do we want to just have this, leave the status quo as it is? Is that what we're doing? Are we, are we keeping the status quo as it is? Or do we, are we have the energy to take the risk to change the status quo? To make a decision that says, I'm, I, I'm taking, I, I, I'm going, I'm stepping out of faith. I'm saying yes to God to do something courageous to change the status quo that, that it is, you know. So anyway, um, 
I just want to encourage you. I hope that this moment is like a coffee break, right? <laughs> that, that after this moment, you can be brave and be courageous and take a risk and do what you know God is calling you to do. And I don't know what that is for you. But, but um, you know, I just want to pray for us and, and let's, uh, let's sing a song. All right? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we could be here together and, uh, and just be encouraged by your word and, uh, and by the story of Mary and Joseph who risked everything for, put all their plans at risk to say yes to you. And so, Lord, if there's someone this morning who, who has not said yes to you for the first time, who has not been born again, Lord, I pray that you would give courage to, to, to whoever is seeking you, Lord, to be born again. And if that's you this morning, please come and speak to me or to my dad afterward. We'd love to talk to you about being born again, about what that means to follow Jesus with your life. And um, Lord, we, we just pray that you would give us courage and, and help us not to lose heart as we take steps in following you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>